New Frontiers in Functional Medicine is proudly sponsored by the following companies. Designs for Health is a family-owned professional brand offered exclusively to healthcare professionals and their patients. For over 25 years, they've been the healthcare professional's trusted source for research-backed nutritional products. Their guiding philosophy, Science First, is demonstrated by a commitment to research-driven products, synergistic formulations, and meaningful quantities of therapeutic ingredients. Find them at www.designsforhealth.com. And Dr. H. Rejoint. Dr. Robert Hadaya, a pioneer in functional medicine, has formulated Dr. H. Rejoint, an herbal muscle and joint supplement that normalizes the molecular function of TNF-alpha and NF-kappa B, the so-called grand central stations of inflammation. Doctors, including Jack Kornberg and Bob Lerman, formerly of Metagenics, have said it's revolutionized their treatment of joint and muscle discomfort. For more information about Dr. H. Rejoint and our professional program, go to rejointyourself.com. That's R-E-J-O-I-N-T, yourself.com, and use my discount code, D-R-K-A-R-A. That's D-R-K-A-R-A, or Dr. Kara. Genova Diagnostics is an advanced clinical laboratory committed to the prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of chronic diseases. Our proprietary testing offers actionable results that can be used to personalize the treatment protocols for your patients' unique needs. Good health starts with Genova testing. Learn more at www.gdx.net. That's www.gdx.net. Thank you to our sponsors. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine. I'm Kara Fitzgerald. Today, I'm thrilled to have Dr. Mark Hyman with me. Um, I think that Mark's really brought functional medicine into mainstream consciousness, uh, brought it to the greater medical community, you know, really more so than almost anybody I can think of. Uh, he's really done us a profound service in shifting the medical paradigm. Uh, as you probably know, he's a practicing family physician. He's a nine-time uh, number one New York Times bestselling author. He's internationally recognized uh, leader, speaker, educator, and just a great, great advocate in our field. He's the director of the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. He's also the founder and medical director of Ultra Wellness Center, chairman of the board at the Institute for Functional Medicine, a medical editor at the Huffington Post, and he's been on TV all over the place. I also want to add for professionals that uh, Mark, Mark and I co-authored in case studies in integrative and functional medicine. He uh, contributed to the textbook for functional medicine, and you know he's published numerous peer-reviewed journal articles, um, and we've published, I think, at least four together, Mark. Uh, it's wonderful to have you. Thanks so much for joining me today. Mm, thanks for having me. So... Let's, let's just jump right in. Uh, we're talking about your new book, Eat Fat, Get Thin, and I've enjoyed reading it quite a bit. You know, you've really done a remarkable job tussling with the science behind fat. Really great job. Ep lots of epidemiological studies, lots of, you know, fatty acid biochemistry. I mean, just good, 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 good work. And, you know, you cite study after study from the 1800s on up where the conclusion is always fat isn't the culprit. You know, sugar and carbs are. You talk about Dr. Uh, you mentioned Dr. Harvey and Dr. Osler in the 1800s, Jocelyn in the 20s, then you go to Willett in the 2000s, and on and on. You know, really advising low-carb diets for weight loss, reduced uh, 
cardiovascular disease, reduced diabetes risk. So what happened? I mean, how did we lose <laughs> our way? Well, we, we kind of got confused because we know that, you know, just from a pure common sense point of view, that, you know, fat seems to be what's lining our arteries. It, see, if you eat fat, you're going to get fatty streaks in your arteries. It's logical. And that fat has more calories than carbs and protein, so more than twice as many, in fact. So, of course, if you eat fat, you're going to get fat. The problem is science just doesn't line up around that because biology is complex and metabolism is not a math problem. And it turns out that it's sugar, not fat, that actually drives the kind of lipid abnormalities that actually cause heart disease. And um, we kind of jumped the gun on this. And it's fascinating. I just I came out of this paper last, yesterday, in fact, which has an incredible story of how we went wrong, where mm. there was a researcher who was partnered with Ansel Keys who came up with the concept that saturated fat causes heart disease because it raises cholesterol. And if we lower saturated fat, we reduce cholesterol, we reduce heart disease. And so this was the basic mantra that led to our food policy, yet it was really never proven. Mm. A lot of it had to be based on observational data. So they did some RCTs in the 60s to try to prove this. Right. And a lot of them were buried because they didn't actually prove what the authors wanted them to prove. In fact, one was published yesterday after 40 years, wow. which was a fascinating story. So Ansel Keys, one of his colleagues in Minnesota, did this research called the Minnesota Coronary Study. And they looked at um, over 9,000 people in mental hospitals. Now, you can't do these studies now because you can't, an RB wouldn't approve the, <laughs> right. you know, it wouldn't not approve you doing an experiment on people in a mental hospital, but then it was approved. And they found that when they gave them corn oil, their LDL cholesterol came down uh, compared to saturated fat. So they gave the, you know, basically randomized trial of saturated fat versus corn oil, omega-6 oils. And if, even though the LDL came down, the risk of cardiac events went up. So it was not the saturated fat that was the problem. It was the omega-6 fats. And yet the entire government policy and our whole mantra has been eat more polyunsaturated fats, less saturated fat. And this data was buried. And the guy who did the research didn't publish it. Wow. And the son, who's still alive, of this guy is a cardiologist. And this researcher at NIH found about him, wow. went to him and said, did you, did you have the data somewhere? He's like, well, you know, I think my dad has a baby in his basement. Maybe there's this file, this box. I don't know. And they found this data from this research, and they published it, and it showed this, these findings, which completely contradict everything we've thought. That's and it's incredible. not just one study. There, as I review and eat fat gets in, there are many, many studies that point to the same phenomena where saturated fats are not the issue and refined vegetable oils are not the benefit that we thought. Yeah. Uh, if they're in the context of a rich omega-3 diet, yes, but not in the context of uh, high omega-6s by themselves. That's amazing. Hey, where, where was it published? Where did you get, where is that, if we want to access it? Where is it? How do you find it? Uh, I know, I know. Well, you... it, was, it was published in um, the British Medical Journal, uh -huh. uh, and the, it was February, uh, let's see, it was uh, BMJ 2016, uh, Volume 365, I think page 246. Uh, and it's, uh, it's like an open access journal, uh, so you can actually get it. But it was, it was just it was called the reevaluation of the traditional diet and heart hypothesis and analysis of recovered data from the Minnesota coronary experiment. And it was Dr. Hiblin and and Ramston. Um, so it was quite fascinating how they how they actually 
went back to the data and then reanalyzed it and you know incredible but this is on a pile of other data that you know shows through you know the observational data you could even still doesn't suggest that very well when you when you do a more robust analysis and right. when you look at the the plasma levels of fatty acids. So this is a study a couple of weeks ago looking at saturated fat um, and diabetes, and they, they looked at not just you know observational data, they looked at actually fatty acid levels in the plasma, which mm -hmm. is much more predictive of dietary history, right? So instead of saying, well, what did I eat last week? They're, they're actually measuring, oh, gee, there's butter in the blood, mm -hmm. and what does that mean? And they found highest levels of dairy fat mm -hmm. correlated with the lowest risk of diabetes. Oh, amazing. So, so in other words, when you see the patients who were eating more butter, they had 40 to 50 percent lower risk of diabetes. That's great. That's this great. This was done by Mazafarian and Tufts, and these are leading researchers. This is not sort of stuff on the margins. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. You've got great, great citations in your book. So, all right, so that said, you know, Dean Ornish is still advocating maybe 10% fat in his program. Um, Essel Stein, who's over at Cleveland Clinic, is advocating for even less. Um, yeah. You know, what, what are your comments on that? And they do see some turnaround. Absolutely. And I, 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 I did actually review, I wrote a blog recently called um, That, What I Got Wrong, What I Got Right, because I, I actually made a mistake in the, reporting some of the numbers. Uh, from Dr. Ornish's trial in that article, I, I, in the book, because I compared the the groups, the control and experimental groups, at the end of the study to each other instead of from baseline. Uh, and normally you can do that because the groups are matched controls. Mm -hmm. His were not matched controls. They were hmm. mismatched controls because his group weighed 35 pounds on average more than the control group. So there was a bigger weight loss in his group, although at the end his group still weighed more than the control group. So it kind of was, I kind of got that wrong, and I was just bad. I didn't, I, I didn't read the, the baseline data, and I made that mistake. But, um, but I did talk about the issue, which is that, you know, what is the best diet? Now, the concern is that, you know, if you see these, these, these interventions done, they do show this improvement. So is, it, is the fact that it's a low-fat diet, or is it the fact that they exercise, stop smoking, the fact that they had social support, good meditation, yoga, or it's the fact that they stopped eating the traditional American diet and ate a whole foods plant-based diet, even if it was low in fat. I think, you know, the view that I really come to after looking at all the data is that uh, if you're comparing a traditional American diet, which is processed food, sugar, flour, a lot of omega-6 refined oils, to a whole foods plant-based diet that's low in fat, they will do better every time, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. But what if you compare a whole foods, low-fat, plant-based diet to a whole foods, high-fat, mostly plant-based diet that includes healthy animal products? Mm -hmm. How will that work? And I think there has been some experimental data on that. There's been some, um, some small some observational data. And I think that, that, that you know, we, we need to do the interventional trials. And I'm actually looking at doing that with Steve Nissen here at Cleveland Clinic, okay. who's a cardiologist. Who's, who's very interested in actually looking at these issues. But I think, I think we, we have to answer that question. So do I think that, you know, Esselstyn and Dean are, are right in providing a whole foods plant-based diet? Yes. Do I think that they may be wrong in the, in the fat story? Absolutely. And I think I covered that. And if you look at the data, his, his, the trends in his numbers from the LDL uh, and HDL 
you know, the, the trends were to have a lower HDL, higher triglycerides. Uh, so he did drop LDL, but, but when you look at the data on LDL, LDL isn't actually the best biomarker for cardiovascular disease. It's LDL particle number mm-hmm. and size. And so when you just look at LDL, you can have people with a very low LDL, but very high numbers of particles, small HDLDL, yes. and they have the highest risk group. Right. Whereas people who have a very high LDL, but very low particle number, and very large particles, and they have very low risk. Yes. So you can't, and, and when you look at the, the, coral, the correlates of that, if you see high triglycerides and low HDL, mm-hmm. that always correlates with atherogenic dyslipidemia. It's the pattern that you see. So you'll see small LDL, you'll see large triglycerides, and small HDL. Mm-hmm. That's called atherogenic dyslipidemia. And in his trials, in these trials, you always see higher levels of triglycerides and lower levels of HDL. Mm, yeah. Well, there you go. It'll be really interesting to see what you guys do over there at Cleveland Clinic. Um, I'll be paying attention. So 2015 dietary guidelines come out and, you know, cholesterol is now okay. Um, dietary fat is okay, but with the exception of saturated fat. So what do you think about these guidelines? I mean, it seems like they're a, a step in the right direction, yeah. but... Yeah, they're stepping in the right direction. We got rid of the limits on dietary cholesterol. We got rid of the uh, restrictions on total fat. Um, however, <clears throat> uh, they're still staying to lower saturated fat. And I think, you know, every day there's more data coming out. Like since those guidelines came out, the dairy fat study came out in diabetes. This latest study showing the randomized trial, which is, again, hard to do and very few. There's very few of them, but having a 9,000-person randomized trial, that's impressive in a mental hospital where we actually yes. have the data. Yes. You know, that means something. And I think the, the edifice of saturated fat being the enemy is coming down. Um, there's less and less data linking it. In fact, more and more data that's showing that it's really not an issue. So I don't think it's a health food, but I don't think it's harmful. I think okay. it's probably you know, either neutral. And it may actually, if you look at the effects of saturated fat on lipids, you can see that it improves lipid particles. Mm. So it actually causes increases in LDL particle size, decreases particle number, increases HDL. Very few things that increase HDL. Saturated fat increases HDL. Coconut oil, which is 90% saturated fat, has the biggest impact on HDL and improves the total to HDL ratio the most. So I think it's really kind of, you know, powerful when you when you actually think about um, looking at these things in a, in a smart way. Yes. You can really just see that that when you look at the, like this was so beautiful about functional medicine, you actually begin to understand the underlying biology. Right. And and that's what helps you inform your decision. So if you understand that, you know, it's atherogenic dyslipidemia that causes heart disease, not just LDL. Right. If you understand what causes that, it's refined sugars and carbs. If you understand what fixes it, it's good fats, it's even saturated fat. Mm-hmm. All of that, you know, plays a role. Yeah. Thank you. Jeez, that's great. Just really nicely, clearly articulated. Because <laughs> it's complex, you know. This is complicated. This is complex bio- biochemistry, and the interaction among these various macronutrients is is powerful and profound. I liked in chapter five, which is you know really a, a good a good chapter in your book where you really you tussle with the science a lot. You talk about um, this massive 2014 uh, review led by Dr. Chowdhury, um, really looking at, at fat and heart disease again. And, you, you know, you spent a good amount of time on that. Uh, and I know you've already mentioned some of those points, but, you know, talk about that study and 
you know, how it's influenced you? Well, you know, this is a study where a lot of, there's a lot of criticism of this study because it's like, what's the context of the diet and so yeah. forth. And, and this study was a meta-analysis, which has its own challenges. Right. Um, but what they did was they looked at, uh, you know, 600,000 people, 19 countries, 72 studies, RCTs, observational data, and uh, plasma fatty acid studies. And um, they basically concluded that there was no link between total unsaturated fat and heart disease. And what was even more fascinating to me was that there's a table, if anybody's sort of geeky, they can look at the table in that article, mm-hmm. and you need to see trends. You see trends, for sure, fat, trans fat's harmful. Everybody, yeah. omega-3 fat's beneficial. Yeah. But there was a trend toward butter fat basically being protective and omega-6 fats being harmful. Mm-hmm. They weren't statistically significant, but you can see the trend lines. So I think it's, it's pretty fascinating when you look at that data that, and it's not just that data. There's that other data by, by Dr. Um, Dr. Krauss, who's done a lot of the pioneering research in this. He did a meta-analysis of, you know, over 350,000 people, 23 years, um, looking at saturated fat and heart disease, and could actually find really, you know, no link. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, you know, when you see the, the, the even change palmitic and stearic acid yes. uh, that were elevated, that, that did correlate with um, heart disease. So these are these are fats that are saturated fats in the blood that do correlate with heart disease. But here's the big thing that I learned when I when I when I researched the book was that the fat that you eat doesn't turn into the fat in your blood. In fact, yes, when you eat saturated fats, even if you double or triple saturated fats, it doesn't translate into those saturated fats being in your blood. Right. So when you when you look at the cause of palmitic and stearic acid, it's not from eating palm oil or beef. It's mm-hmm. actually from eating sugar and starch. That's awesome. And that drives lipogenesis. Yes. Um, and that's really what's caused this. And so saturated fat actually doesn't impact that. Uh, and the odd chain margeric mar- acid, which is from dairy, can be associated with reduction in risk. Um, also, arachidonic acid, which I always thought was bad, eggs, poultry, and beef have a more arachidonic acid. They were showing some reduced risk. Um, and then when you look at, you know, even the nurse's health study, uh, when they controlled for fiber, saturated fats were not associated with heart disease uh, in the nurse's health study. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the um, RCTs of all the guidelines, there were, I mean, RCTs of all the trials on fat before 1983 when the guidelines were established, there was no link in saturated fat and heart disease. This is from Open Heart Journal from 2015. Um, and then when you look at, at the... Uh, feeding studies, which is fascinating to me, because, okay, well... What about inflammation and saturated fat? What about oxidative stress? And what about, you know, all these, these issues that we always think are a problem? Mm-hmm. Well, if you do feeding studies, you can kind of see what happens to people. So they put people on very low-carb diets, like 12%, high-fat, very high-fat diets, eight men, six weeks, either high omega-6 fats, not with omega-3s, but high-end six pupas, mm-hmm. and saturated fats, which was about 86 grams. That's about like 750 calories. That's like... It's like, you know, half of your diet is saturated fat. Yeah. I mean, look at plasma lipids, cholesterol, inflammation. Doubling of the dietary intake of saturated fat had no impact. No impact on plasma saturated fat. And the ones who had the saturated fat, highest group saturated fat, Mm -hmm. had the lowest inflammation, the lowest oxidative stress. They had lower insulin, lower triglycerides, and more large LDL. Amazing. Well... But the problem... Yeah, go ahead. Well, can I say one more thing? Yeah. But I want to just make, you know, one really important point here is that 
Sweet fat is deadly. Yes. Sweet fat is saturated fat with carbs. Right. So donuts, french fries, ice cream, bread and butter. These are deadly because you increase insulin yes. with the carb and you have the fat running around your blood at the same time. It gets stored. It becomes inflammatory. That's where the problem is. Got it. And so inflammation only occurs in the context of refined sugar and fat and in the context of low omega-3 fat. So if you add omega-3s and you cut out the sugar and starch or dramatically reduce it, it's okay. You know, that's exactly, actually, that you went exactly where, where I was going to go. That's just exquisitely important. Um, and, and something that I've observed, you know, just looking at zillions of fatty acid panels, you know, looking at palmitic and, you know, the medium yeah. change, et cetera. I mean, I know you have too. Um, you see that pattern over and over again, high fat intake, tons of carbohydrates, simple carbs. You just see this massive hypertriglyceridemic picture and it's, um, you know, it's potent and it's inflammatory and, you know, arachidonic acid is also driven by insulin and you see that elevated in this population and, um, so mm -hmm. I, I, I highlighted that in your book because, you, you know, you said it. It's the high-fat intake, when the, the sweet fat, as you said, you know, easy, sweet fat. That's the deadly combination. Bravo. Um, yeah. So then, I mean, I guess this so, – so, so in your mind then, you're, it sounds like you're concluding that uh, – that would you say a high meat diet is a reasonable thing, or I mean, where are high you meat? at? High meat. Yeah, yeah, meat. Like, no. where are you at on the meat on the meat issue? <laughs> okay, so this is a separate issue. Okay, separate issue. So, um, separate issue, meat. Should we eat it? Should we not eat it? What's the deal? Yes. Is it good? Is it bad? And I think you know we so are confused about this issue, and I was confused about it. And look, I, I want to live to be 120, so I don't want to eat meat if it's going to kill me, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so. What I, what I think is really critical is for us to, to look at these factors, and there's three factors. One is do these things cause um, you know, disease? That's the most important question, health or not health. Then there's the moral issues, which I think are in the individual. You know, if you're yes. a Buddhist monk, okay, don't eat meat. I'm okay with that. I'll support you in doing that. The second is <clears throat> um, what about the environmental issues? Those mm -hmm. are real. And I yeah. think we have to be very cautious about about that. And I think um, we can't ignore that and how we grow meat. Uh, so um, we have to sort of take that into account and in how our factory farming is degrading the environment. So let's just assume we're not factory farming and we're eating grass-fed meat and we're eating the healthiest types of animal food, mm -hmm. good or bad. So then I went and looked at the data, and I was like, well, wait a minute. Like, what is actually happening here? Because... You know, um, it's confusing because on one hand, you see, um, you know, there's, there's concerns about saturated fat, there's concerns about inflammation, cancer risk, diabetes, TMAO, the polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, and all this. Mm -hmm. And you kind of got to look, what does the data say? Well, you see, you know, studies like the, 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 of the Plains Indians, and like they would be with Buffalo, and they have the highest centenarians in any per capita population history. And then you got the seven damages, the, like one of the blue zones, longevity yes. folks. Right. So they're vegetarians. So, like, what, what's the deal? So there's a lot of ways we can eat to stay healthy. I think that that's really true. But most of the research in meat is basically observational data. There's a lot of confounding factors, um, and it's kind of confusing. And uh, these food frequency questionnaires, what was the population like? Were the meat eaters healthy, unhealthy? 
that people weren't eating meat? Was it because they heard meat was bad and they were actually having all these other healthy habits? So observational data is really challenging. So um, you look at the uh, NAARP study, and they, they found 500,000 people. It was like a high risk of heart disease, cancer, death. Like, sounds bad, right? Mm-hmm. But when you look at the data on these meat eaters, they smoke more, they weigh more, they eat more sugar. Yes. They drink more alcohols, uh, have less fruits and vegetables, had 800 more calories a day, took fewer vitamins, and it wasn't grass-fed meat, it was cattle meat. Right. And then you look at the EPIC study. On the other hand, that's a, the EPIC study showed there was half a million people, no association with unprocessed fresh meat, but association with processed meat. Mm. 1.2 million people, another meta-analysis, no link between meat and heart disease, diabetes, or stroke. Mm-hmm. And then there were some other studies like showed like Asian studies showing 300,000 people with increased meat in the context of a healthy Asian diet yes. actually associated with a decrease in heart disease and cancer. And then I saw this one study that kind of answered a question, which is what if you had a healthy diet and you ate meat? Not if you were a typical meat eater, but um, they actually found this study where they looked at 11,000 people, vegetarians and omnivores, who shopped at health food stores. And for both, the death rate was cut in half. So wow. they were equivalent. And I think, you know, if you eat meat in the context of a healthy diet, I don't think it's a big issue. Saturated fat meat doesn't raise blood cholesterol. That's clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that, that it's mostly stearic acid, which is neutral. We know that in interventional studies, paleolithic diet interventions where they're using um, animal foods, they see better outcomes in body weight, body fat, muscle mass, metabolic rate, lipids, blood pressure. Um, and I think uh, the TMAO story is a longer story. I don't know if you want to get into that, but there's some challenges with that. Cancer risk. You know, a lot of the cancer risk is based on processed meat, but even mm. even it's observational data, and there's some mechanistic explanations. But, um, you know, the data is kind of weak. I mean, you, your risk goes from 2.4 to 3.2 absolute risk intri- increase, which is not a very big absolute increase in risk. Do you have anything to say about the TMAO story? I mean, I don't know. It doesn't. I don't know that it's s- super strong yeah, at this point. I yeah, do. go ahead. So TMAO here at Cleveland Clinic, Stan Hazen has looked at TMAO, which is trimethylamine anoxide, which is a metabolite um, that is produced in the gut from certain microbes that uh, occur when you eat meat. The truth is that one of the highest sources of TMAO is actually fish, which is associated with a decrease right. in the risk right. of heart disease. So that's yep. a little confusing. Yep. And then it's produced from dysbiotic bacteria, from carnitine, choline, lecithin. Yep. Now, vegetarians who ate steak, they showed no increase in TMAO. Mm-hmm. And if you give them antibiotics, it prevented the TMAO after mm-hmm. meat consumption. If yeah. you had olive oil, red wine, and balsamic vinegar, it also limited the TMAO um, in, in the production. Uh, and the highest concentrations are in fish. So the fact is that how do you have a healthy microbiome more like a vegetarian? You eat more vegetables. Yeah. I don't think you necessarily have to eat uh, no meat because I, I think it's really about what the overall health of your gut microbiome is. And you and I, yes. you know, I think functional medicine docs know this. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great summary, and that makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I think some people... Well, yeah, definitely the gut microbiome is a, is a piece in the story. And again, as you're, you know, you're coming back to your central thesis around having a healthy whole foods diet. And if you want some meat, that's, that's okay. Well, you know, what, so, so jumping off of that, what are you eating these days? Well, I eat a pretty simple diet, actually. Um, I, I, I try to just eat foods that make me feel good and taste good. <laughs> So for breakfast, you know, I'm a pretty busy guy, so 
like I'll have either a few eggs and avocado, maybe sliced tomato and some olive oil. I call it a fat on fat on fat, right? Olive oil, <laughs> eggs, avocados. I'll have a fat shake, which is nuts and seeds, which have fat, mm-hmm. uh, almond butter, coconut butter, coconut oil, coconut um, milk maybe, and then uh, which all has fat and fiber and then blueberries, and that's my fat shake. And then for lunch, I might have what I call a fat salad, which is, uh, and I'm sort of making a tongue-in-cheek about this, but basically there's lots of veggies and the crunchy veggies. Then I'll put uh, avocados, pumpkin seeds, maybe a can of wild salmon or sardines on the side, and uh, olives and olive oil. So it's fat on fat on fat on fat. And then dinner is usually a piece of fish or chicken, not only damaged chicken, but like fish or grass-fed lamb. Maybe maybe once a month I'll have grass-fed meat. Um and uh, and then lots of veggies. So three-quarters of my plate is veggies. I'll have, you know, a huge side of, like, broccolini. I'll have maybe an extra salad, or I'll have sauté mushrooms, or I'll have, you know, cauliflower. I'll have, like, a lot of different vegetable dishes, and I just fill up on that. Then if I want dessert, I'll have um, maybe I'll have some frozen blueberry blackberries, mm-hmm. which are full of antioxidants, low glycemic, and I'll, I'll put a can of coconut milk in oh, them. Yeah, that sounds really good. Okay. All right. Got it. So lots of fat, not a ton of meat, a little bit, um, yeah. some fish. It's called, I call it a pegan diet. Oh, that's your, okay. The pegan diet. <laughs> the, the pegan diet, which is basically like mostly plants. It's like Michael Pond, mostly plants, not too much, you know, right? Yeah. Eat food. <laughs> so, um, all right. And, and, you know, you mentioned in, uh, in some of the info I got before I gave you a buzz today that this book was the hardest you've ever written. Now, I have my opinion on why that might be, but why why was this book so challenging for you? Well, because, um, you know, sugar is easy, right? Everybody's like, sugar's bad. You know, everybody knows about it in some existence. It's sort of an easy, straightforward, you know, concept. But fat is extremely polarizing mm-hmm. and uh in fact you know i have um you know been attacked for my views based on this book where right? i never was attacked before so uh, there's a low fat crew there's the ornish esselstyn barnard you know um colin campbell group and then there's like you know the paleo groups and then there's the you know oh, keto groups this is an interesting dynamic of, of of controversy and then there's the science which was like well, God, you know, this is confusing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I realized that even though I studied this for years, that I, I think my understanding of of this was not as deep as I actually thought. And I and I realized I didn't really know all the literature on omega six fats. I really didn't know all the literature on meat or saturated fat. That I had, you know, had a top line level understanding, but I really, really needed to know more. And that's why I dug in. And I. I found it so much controversy. I, mean, I talked to Walter Willett on one hand. He's like, omega-6, we should be drinking vegetable oil all day. And there's guys from the NIH like Hiblin and Ramson who are like, no, this is bad, and here's why. And then you've got Krauss saying, you know, saturated fat's fine. And then you've got, you know, other docs saying it's really bad. So I think it's, it's confusing. Mm-hmm. But that's why it was hard. Yeah, understandably. I mean, seriously. That's what I was, I mean, Yeah. Yeah, there's so much data that you're sifting through here and really making sense of. Yeah. And, you know, in, in, I did my best. I don't know if I got it all right, but I did my best. Yeah, I get it, Mark. I really do. I mean, 
you know, just me being in the laboratory, and we thought we, we wrote on fatty acids, lectured on them. I looked at tons of data. I mean, I measure them in my patients. I thought that I had a, re I had a decent grasp on it uh, as well. And I just, you know, when I was reading your book, I, could ju I just absolutely appreciated the depth. And you opened my eyes and just distilled and refined and, um, you know, br brought this into um, clarity, you know, far more so than I've encountered and definitely in my own background. So thank you. I just want to, um, I just want to summarize. So saturated fat is fine. Um, and in fact, it's, it's absolutely beneficial, except in the context of simple carbohydrate and sugar or sweet fat. Omega-6 fatty acids, to summarize, um, are less beneficial overall. Omega-3 fatty acids are beneficial. Trans fats are obviously out. Not all saturated fats are created equal. We make tons of saturated fat, we, well, palmitic especially, at the direction of sugar and insulin. But the medium chain fatty acids found in coconut oil are remarkably useful. And some of the longer chain fats, I think, are good or neutral, as you said. So would you say that's a reasonable summary? Any clarifications there? Yeah, I think you've got it right. You got it right. Awesome. Okay. I think that's it. You, you you got it. And all of it's, by the way, in my book. So yes. Um, people want to know about it. It's all in there. Yeah, it is. Okay. So now I was just reading the other day that you did a grand rounds over at Cleveland Clinic. I'm completely shifting gears now because I just want to grab you for our final few minutes here. But. You, did a, you just did a grand rounds over at Cleveland Clinic. So we've got a functional medicine center there, which is amazing, amazing, amazing. You know, you're really expanding the reach of what we're doing. And I know it's wildly popular. Um, you'll probably end up seeing my family. I told you in the beginning of this call, I'm from Cleveland, so my family's always asking uh -huh. me about it. Uh, and you just did a grand rounds to the greater medical community there at the Cleveland Clinic on a functional medicine approach to autoimmunity. How was that received? Oh, I mean, I, I wish I, I, you were here with me, Kara, because you, you, would, you would just have your mind blown by the <laughs> level of interest, excitement, enthusiasm, collaboration, hunger uh, for what we're doing. You know, I, I always expect to you know, boot out of the room. And they other, they're not. They're like, how do we work with you? What do we do? How do we, like, collaborate? We want to do research together. Like, can I send you my family? Can I come see you? How do I get an appointment? Like, it's just uh, it's just kind of stunning. Yes. <laughs> I'm just, like, uh, pinching myself. You know, you mm -hmm. and I know we've been doing this forever, and um, I've been doing it a little longer than you're forever. But, you know, <laughs> it's, like, it's just stunning to see this. I God, I'm just sure. I'm sure it is. It's like goosebumps just listening to it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll tell you from personal experience, you know, when my, when my dad goes to his Cleveland Clinic cardiologist, you, and of course he, he, he talks about my background, I mean, and my sister goes to her Cleveland Clinic doctor periodically, and they, they always, you know, they always bring up functional medicine. And it's true. The doctors there are really excited. You know, my family comes back and, and just says, you know, my doctor wants to know this and this and this. I mean, so you've, you've, you've lit a fire over there at Cleveland Clinic, this excitement. It's just, I, I feel it just from my, uh, you know, my family talking about it. And, of course, seeing, you know, just paying attention to what you and Patrick are doing and, you know, that great team that you've built over there. So, bravo. When are you coming to work with us? When are you coming over? <laughs> I'll be there. We need you. <laughs> you know, I would... I would we love. We actually want to. I actually, I was, was going to call you because we want your help. We 
we're building all these practice guidelines. We want to bring thought leaders together. We want to um, bring bring out and uh, build practice guidelines and protocols. So we mm -hmm. really want to help doing that. Absolutely. Yeah, yes. I already I participated in the one on asthma. I would absolutely jump in again for sure. Okay. Let me just ask you a few more questions here. Um, you know, really being at the front of the movement and, you know, just seeing this expansion that seems to be become, you know, exponential at this point, uh, where is functional medicine headed? <laughs> uh, I think, you know, I, I think we are really poised to be the future for chronic disease care in this country. I, we're here at Cleveland Clinic where we're given the opportunity to innovate and really transform um, the kind of care model they have here and do population health where we're actually doing community-based work. And just the, the opportunities are, are really happening and the research is happening, the clinical care is happening, the policy care is happening. So it's like a it's like a uh, like a perfect storm of really amazing things that are accelerating the development and growth of functional medicine. Oh, just wonderful, you know. Um, I just hearing you say earlier too that you have these certain questions and you've got the scientists right there at the Cleveland Clinic now. You know, you're just not basket, you know, fantasizing in your you know, your Lennox Center on studies you'd like to research. Now that we're at the Cleveland Clinic, you can actually start to research these questions that you're, you know, developing in your process of writing. So this more detailed investigation around fat in a whole foods diet versus no fat in a whole foods diet. I mean, you're actually going to participate yeah, I mean, like, in answering it. Absolutely. We got like Steve Nissen is one of the world-class, you know, cardiology researchers, and he's excited to work with us to answer these questions, which is super exciting. Very, very exciting. Very cool, you know, that you're, that you're getting to participate in that. So, um, but, and I also, I, I meant to ask you this question earlier. You, you have some nice outcome data on people who have followed your Eat Fat, Get Thin uh, protocol. Anything you want to oh, say? Oh, yeah, we had, you know. Oh, sure. I mean, we had a thousand people do it, and we you know, people do it, and we see just tremendous levels of success. You know, people lose tremendous amount of weight. They have improved their blood pressure, blood sugar, and, you know, we had, we had uh, people had the biggest reduction in, like, the MSQ, which is a symptom score. Yeah. Um, which is pretty cool, and there was a 68% reduction in all symptoms from all diseases in Incredible. just a very few days. So that's, that's pretty remarkable when you, when you think about that. And yet, you know, we're able to achieve that through very simple interventions. So, very, well, very exciting. Well, and you that people lost weight, their blood pressure dropped, their blood sugar yeah, dropped. I mean, exactly. on and on. Yeah, very good. Exactly. Um, so, I, you know, there's a lot of MDs, a lot of clinicians in, in all over the place in a variety of specialties. But, you know, MDs are, are moving into functional medicine quite a bit. I have a an MD in my practice now who needed to make this transition to keep his career, you know, to just find his heart in medicine. And um, so for these, for, for new doctor, or not new doctors, but doctors new to functional medicine or transitioning into functional medicine, kind of any words of wisdom to them, like maybe your own process and, you know, any advice? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think, you know, people are excited about the future. They should, you know, take the time to really learn about how their uh, practices can be transformed by using this over overall approach. And I, I think uh, it takes a little time, it takes a little effort, but learning it and applying it 
Johnny Simply can have this really profound effect and come and, you know, get trained with us at the Institute for Functional Medicine. Thank you. Mark, it's been great to talk to you. I know you've got a you've got a scoop, but just really great job. And I look forward to seeing you in May. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right.